more. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Nice to see you. Uh, I'm Tim, and one, I'm one of the elders here on the team. And uh, as you may know, if you've been here for the last few weeks, we are in the, the book of John, which is one of the Gospels. Uh, gospel meaning good news. So these Gospels, the four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. They're kind of biographical accounts, and each of them uh, aimed in slightly different directions, different audiences and things. But John is very clear in chapter 20 what the purpose of his book is. He writes these things to both Jews and Gentiles, Jews being the historical people of God and Gentiles being people who are not in that camp. He writes to them, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's John's desire through this book. You're going to see that again and again and again. He's trying to help us to see Jesus is the crown of heaven and the crown of history. He is the one who you've been, uh, who you need. And you need to know him. You need to put your faith in him that you may have life in his name. This morning's message is called The End of Your Searching. The End of Your Searching. And we're going to be finishing off chapter 1, uh, reading from verse 35 to 51. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love you to keep those open as we go through it. So, 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Father God, we just uh, thank you for this morning's time, worshipping, knowing your presence with us. We thank you your desire is that all men may know you. We thank you that you are present with us. And I just want to ask you to uh, soften our hearts this morning to hear what you want to say by your Holy Spirit. Would you give us the faith to hear 
what you want to deliver to us this morning. Help us to open our hearts to you. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word, which brings life. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've read the Harry Potter books, but in the first of the Harry Potter books, J.K. Rowling writes about a mirror that he finds in a secret room. And he finds this mirror, which is called the Mirror of Erised, which, when looked in it, reveals the deepest and most desperate desires of the person looking. And they find this mirror, and they're fascinated by it. At first, it makes Harry jump, because he looks in it, and he sees himself surrounded by people. And as he looks closer, he recognizes, these people look like me. He doesn't know what this mirror is doing at first. And as he looks in it more and more, he realizes, this is my family. Now, Harry's grown up uh, as a boy whose parents died when he was a baby. He's never had family. His greatest desire is to be surrounded by family. He looks at people standing next to him with smiles and tears in their eyes. Now, Harry brings his best friend, Ron, uh, who is the youngest brother of many in his family and has always felt overshadowed by his older brothers. And what does he see in the mirror? Well, see, he sees himself as head boy of the school, captain of the school team. He's a respected champion. These boys are amazed by what they find. They find the thing that they had been deprived of given to them. The one thing that would make all the difference to them. This is my greatest desire. And the headmaster actually finds Harry looking at the mirror and he warns him, this mirror gives neither knowledge or truth. Men have wasted away before it. Entranced by what they see, they've been driven mad, not knowing if it shows what is real or what is even possible. And we're going to look at a desire suppressed this morning. We're going to look at a desire suppressed, a desire awakened, and a desire sustained. A desire suppressed. Ask someone what they want more than anything. And even if they tell you a material answer... The reality is that there's something in that material possession or experience that they believe will give them fulfillment, that will give them the life that is missing, satisfaction for their very soul, a reason for living. When we think of our deepest and most desperate longings, we think of the things that will give us what we're missing, perhaps things that will give us respect, the respect we've been waiting for, looking for, admiration of others. We think of power and control. We think of riches and pleasure. We think of love and real acceptance, exhilaration. What, what would it be for you if you think, if I could have anything, anything that I asked of? These things are what we cling to to give us meaning, to make us feel our lives are worthwhile. That would make my life Worthwhile, that would make my life justified. And we fill our lives with things that we think will satisfy us. We think they can fill a hole that only God can fill. That's what John will tell us throughout his book again and again. Jesus is the end of your searching. Jesus is the only one that can fill this hole. We see more and more, actually, there's a God-shaped hole, not just in the human heart, but in our society. 
There's a need for God to fill what, what, what we are trying to fill with all sorts of things. We think, we think politics will be the answer or education will be the answer. Actually, only God can fill what we really need. And sadly, when people do actually obtain that job or that admiration or that car or house or that money or, or maybe even the family that they had been setting their hopes on, they often realize it doesn't deliver the fulfillment that they hoped it would. And if they think that it does, they're really setting their sights far too low. One author wrote, the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. What he's saying is that we search high and low for experiences and accolades and, uh, and we distract ourselves. We give ourselves to things looking for what actually only God can provide. We're looking for God in all sorts of places, but we don't want to go to God. That's the problem with the human heart. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. God has created mankind to glorify himself. And he does that by having a people who joyfully proclaim there's nothing better than him. There's no one greater than him. I'm totally fulfilled in him. This brings him all the glory. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The very purpose of finding life fulfilled in relationship with him. That's what he's made us for. But the Bible says, and Paul says in, in the book of Romans, we exchange the glory of the immortal God for substitutes that wither and flitter and fall away. When we think of the word sin, we tend to think of being naughty, don't we? Sin is being naughty. Even, you know, had some ice cream I shouldn't have had. It's sinful. bit naughty. Not sure if I should have had that. Or we think of lying and stealing and cheating, hurting. But the essence of sin in the Bible is, is, is that we won't rightly worship God. We won't rightly trust him. We won't rightly give our hearts to him. And we put other things in his place that cause us to lie and steal and cheat. That's the essence of, of sin in the Bible. It is not stop being naughty, but turn back to God. He's the only place your heart will truly be satisfied. And some of you in the room, you're, you're really aware of your thirst. You're really aware of the longing. That's why you're here, in fact. You've come, you thought, maybe, maybe God is what I've been looking for. You, you've actually looked in lots of places and find they're not fulfilling. And some of you aren't aware of that deep thirst. Many people Jesus met were not aware of the thirst that they had until they met with him, until he revealed it to them. And they certainly weren't aware that he was the answer to their thirst. A medical drama I was watching this week had a character with amnesia in it, and she was lost, and then she, uh, she, somebody found her, and they said to her, don't worry, 
somebody who loves you will definitely be looking for you. And she said, I don't know who that would be, but I miss him. And there's a deep loss, a longing for God in the human heart. And Paul says, we've suppressed that longing and we've exchanged it for created things. We've exchanged the creator God for created things. So there's a desire suppressed. But the desire is awakened through the, the gospel of John, through, uh, through Jesus encountering people. And we'll see that desire awakened again and again. People from all different walks of life had their eyes opened to their need for the one who alone can fulfill their deepest longings and needs. In our passage today, we, we see people drawn to come to Jesus. And what do each of them need in order to have their desire for him awakened? I didn't know I, I, I needed him. Well, they, they needed to encounter him. They needed to encounter him. And as they encounter him, they realize, he's what I need. He's the one I've been looking for. And to encounter him, they actually need others who already have encountered him. John the Baptist has his own disciples. He has his own ones that, that come after him, that are following him, and they call him rabbi, which means teacher. And beautifully, he points them to Jesus. In chapter 5, he goes on to say, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. The heart of somebody who's encountered Jesus is not, look at me, it's look at him. John has been preparing a way for Jesus and now he doesn't keep teaching them. When Jesus is in front of him, in front of them, he doesn't say, let me tell you more about him. No, he just says, behold. Behold the Lamb of God. See for yourself. Take him in. In, in verse 39, it says that after one day with Jesus, they're convinced. One day, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. They're amazed by him. They encounter him, and they are all in, jumping at the deep end. And this isn't on Sundays only. They are his. That is effectively the end of their previous lives as they spend the rest of their days following him, even, even to the point of death. These men, Andrew and Peter, Nathaniel, these men, they, they go to their death. They met him this day. They're convinced. They, they never stop following him. He's their God. And what do they do with the news that they've found the one who is the end of their searching? They go and tell their friends and family. In verse 41, Andrew finds Simon. And in verse 45, Philip finds Nathaniel. And what did they do? They, they brought them to Jesus. They, did, they didn't just tell them they knew about Jesus. They didn't just tell them some theology. They didn't sheepishly tell them what time church was on Sunday. You're welcome to come if you want to. No, they knew they needed, they needed to encounter what I've encountered. You've got to know him. You've got to come. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Church, this is what Ipswich needs. This is what we're here for. This is why we're here. Do you have a set of beliefs that you hold to that you hope will get you to heaven? Or have you encountered a living God that you know others have to encounter too? Do you encounter him daily? Do you know 
a relationship with him where you walk with him, where he holds your hand, where you trust him. You think, others must know this. Others must see this. Have you encountered him? How could you say to others, come and see? I will show you. I'm not making this up. How could you say that to somebody? When Nathaniel says cynically, or maybe quite discerningly, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, if you're an Ipswich fan in here, you might think, you know, can anything good come out of Norwich? <laughs> yeah. Philip didn't think, I need to argue my point here. No, no, Nazareth's an up-and-coming town, you know. Nazareth, it's, it's nice now. They're, doing, they're developing it. It's all right. He didn't focus on that. He just says, no, come and see for yourself. It's not about Nazareth. Just come and meet him. Come and know him. How can you say, come and see for yourself to someone? Maybe it's praying for someone's need to be met, that they may see the power of God in their lives. Maybe a colleague is going through a tough time, and you can just, in your courage, say, I'm praying for you. Or can I pray for you? And trust, God, if you want them to see you, you need to do something when I pray. God's desire is that they would see. Say, God, I'm putting this on you. I'm going I'm to tell them. I'm praying for them. I want them to see you. I want them to come and see and taste that the Lord is good. And maybe it's bringing somebody to church that they may see hundreds of people encountering God and encounter God for themselves in this place. Maybe it is sharing how you have encountered God in your life so that you're not, not simply saying, look, here's what I believe here are some principles. Here are some concepts. No, you're saying, see for yourself. I used to be perhaps riddled with fear. That was what it was for me. I was scared of things until Jesus met me. And the love of Jesus comforted me. And now I'm courageous. I'm not so concerned because Jesus has changed my life. Or, or maybe it is you could tell somebody, listen, I was obsessed with money. I was obsessed with getting the next raise and getting that house and getting that position. I was obsessed with it until, until Jesus showed me that he can give me a much surer security. Perhaps this is the sort of thing that you can help somebody say, come and see. Come and see what Jesus is and who Jesus is. And listen, if you haven't got anything like that that you can say today... <coughs> I believe Jesus is saying to you today, as he said to Philip, follow me. Follow me. Even if you're a Christian and you think, I don't know if I've got stuff to say like that. Jesus would say, oh, follow me. Take my hand. Let me lead you. Come and see. Come and see. Church, we're here to point people to Jesus. And we need others to keep pointing us to Jesus, don't we? We really do. I know I need that. I love to hear stories. Do you love to hear stories of what Jesus is doing in people's lives? It's so wonderful to hear about healings, whether it's healings of heart and pain, or whether it's healings of bodies. I had a strange injury on Friday night of getting out of my car, quite embarrassing, and I just muscle just spasmed, and I just couldn't move. I was stuck. It's wonderful to be able to text people yesterday and, and Dozens of people praying for me. 
And I feel really so much better. Like, I feel totally released from that. And I know that lots of that is, is natural, but I believe it's good to hear stories, people praying, seeing God's answers to prayer. We need to hear uh, stories of miraculous provision, stories of people coming to faith, pe- stories of, of, of miracles, sorry, of marriages restored, or people finding freedom from sins that have entangled them. And stories of saying, no, I'm free from that now. Hallelujah. I'm able to say that. Things that have totally dominated me for years. I'm able to say, Jesus has rescued me from this. We need to hear these stories that come and see. Look what he's like. People being able to forgive of things which, which bound them up with uh, anger and um, resentment for years. And then suddenly they found... If he can forgive me, I must forgive. He's paid for it. These are powerful things. We must share with one another the stories of how Jesus has impacted our lives. And finally, there's this interesting ending um, in this passage that shows us how the relationship with the living God is sustained. So we've seen a desire suppressed, desires awakened. Now, how is a desire sustained? Jesus' conversation with Nathanael is, is fascinating at the end. And it's pretty clear that Jesus, in the prophetic power of the Holy Spirit, has seen Nathanael under the fig tree, which amazes Nathanael. And it's pretty, pretty clear that Nathanael was meditating on the Old Testament story of Jacob. As Jesus focuses on that. Jacob, known for being a trickster. He was a twin brother. When his brother was born... Uh, Jacob comes out second, holding on to the heel of his brother Esau. And Jacob actually means heel grabber. That's what it means. And when we use the phrase to pull the wool over someone's eyes, meaning uh, to deceive someone, in ancient Hebrew, the equivalent phrase was to grab someone's heel. That's his reputation. Jacob is famous for grabbing and taking and deceiving to get what he wants. He famously tricks his own brother out of his birthright by pretending to be his brother and deceiving their blind father. When Jesus sees Nathanael coming, he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And in some translations, it even says, In whom there is no Jacob. Nathanael is disarmed. How, how do you know me? Jesus says, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. You know, Jesus, he, he does see you. You may feel, I'm, I'm, I'm not noticeable to him. He's busy. He's got other things going on. Psalm 139. If that's how you feel, go and read Psalm 139. It's so clear. Where can I flee? from his presence, from his sight. If I go to the depths, he'll find me. If I send to the heavens, he's there. If I go from the, to the far side of the sea, you, you'll, you'll come after me, you'll find me. You know a thought before it's on my tongue. You know when I stand up and when I sit down, you know the number of hairs on my head. He knows you. I hope that something of the Spirit's blessing would be on you this morning. You might be able to receive that afresh. 
He knows your thoughts and he knows the things that you, perhaps you've been thinking on. Nathan, Nathaniel has been thinking on Jacob. He's been thinking of this story. Jesus knows that. He, he comes into where Nathaniel's heart has already been. He knows what's on your mind at the moment. He knows what's troubling you, perhaps family issues, perhaps job issues. He knows. He understands. This disarms Nathaniel. He's amazed. And Jesus says, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. He's amazed. You are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus replies, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. You believe. You'll see greater things than these. And then he says, truly, truly. Now, when Jesus says truly, truly, you want to take stock of what he's saying. He's saying, listen, listen, I say to you. And that word you is plural. So he turns from talking to Nathaniel to talking to mankind. He's talking to everybody. Listen, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So he's again referring to the story of Jacob. Jacob, the scrapper who always thought he needed to fight to get anywhere in life. Perhaps you know a little bit of that in yourself. Perhaps you're one of those people who who you tend to think, um, if I want good things to happen, I'm going to make them happen. I've got to make them happen. Nothing good happens in my life unless I make it happen. You need to make good things happen by yourself, by hook or by crook. And that was what Jacob was like. But in one part of Jacob's story, God dramatically humbles him. It's so often the case. God God has to take the Jacob out of Jacob. And this happens again and again and again and again through the word of God. He has to take the Moses out of Moses. He has to take the Joseph out of Joseph. He has to humble us. And if you turn to Jesus, and many of you will say, yeah, I know. (laughs) I know the pain of where Jesus has had to take the me out of me. Do you know what he's essentially doing? He's taking the Adam out of you. That's what he, he has to do to get you to a place where you're not saying, I can do this. I have to do this. I have to make it happen for myself. Jesus was saying, no, you can't. You've got to rest in what I can do for you. See, so often the case, God has to take Jacob out of Jacob so that Jacob can start to rest in God's goodness instead of thinking that he has to fight to earn everything himself. Jacob knew there were promises over his life. You know that Jacob knew that the, the promises of God that he was in the, in the line of Abraham and Isaac, that there were awesome promises over his life. But he thought, I'm going to have to snatch at them. I'm going to have to make that happen. I'm going to force that, and I'm going to make it happen by my own schemes. He was like the builders of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, who thought that they could get to God's dwelling place on their own. They could build their own gateway tower, scheming their way, to heaven. They tried to grab and snatch at God's blessing, and Jacob was like that. And God wanted to show Jacob that his blessings are not snatched. They're not taken. They're not grasped at. They're only ever given by grace. They're given as a gift. And God gave Jacob this dream of a stairway 
a ladder stretching from heaven. Not a failed tower built by man, a gateway built by God. With God himself at the top, sending angels up and down between heaven and earth. Opening heaven that earth may be blessed. Not people trying desperately to make their way, clawing their way up. This is the Lord's way of saying, stop striving, stop fending for yourself. Stop thinking you're on your own and you've got to make it work. I give. That's who I am. And I give freely. Be at rest. So do you see what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel? He's saying, Nathaniel, you, you may be impressed by prophetic power, but I've come to be the very stairway leading to God the Father. I've been given to you freely. There's no striving. I've come down and I will ascend. I'm the only way. And I'm making that way for you. If you want to be amazed at something, don't just stop at the prophetic power. See that I will one day open heaven for you. I'm making that way for you. That, that's what you'll see. I'm the mediator. As it says in 1 Timothy 2, Verse 5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. There's one mediator. There's one way. Jesus is clear. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the answer. I am what you're looking for. Nathaniel follows him from that day forward. He's convinced. He's lost to this man, Jesus. And you know what? Nathaniel still gets things wrong. He's not perfect from that day. He still makes a mess of his decisions. He still gets things wrong, but his trust and his hope is fully in Jesus. It's not in his performance. His hope is in the way. His hope is in the mediator. And when Jesus died on a cross, the curtain of the temple that signified separation between God and man was torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top by man's efforts, from top to bottom by God saying, I make a way. I have made a way for you. I have achieved a provision of a ladder for you in my son. Heaven is opened for your blessing. And throughout this series, we're going to see this one and only Jesus saying, come and see. Just come and see. And we're saying to you, come and see. Come and see. Come and know. Come and walk with. Come and trust. I am the promised one, says Jesus. I am the son of God. I am the way to God. I am the giver of eternal life. The only one that truly will satisfy your heart, your deepest longings. I'm the end of your striving, Jesus says. Your desires will be met. Your relationship with the God you need will be sustained by his work, not by yours. Because Jesus says, I am the end of all your searching. So, Father God, we, we just want to say thank you. We found in you the end of our searching. You have sent Jesus that we don't need to scrap for ourselves. We don't need to prove anything. We don't need others to be impressed by us. We don't need to be fearful. Jesus is enough. Jesus is better. 
Jesus is greater. Jesus is worthy of our trust and our faith. And in him we find our peace. In him we live and move and have our being. So Jesus, we pray that this would be ministered to our hearts today. That we would leave this place today knowing, thank you. My heart is at rest. I'm at peace. I know the joy of knowing heaven has been opened for me. I can't force my way in. I can't put God in my debt. He makes a way. We praise you. Amen.